The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into, the far, into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his, field, into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with the hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, brother, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, it'd be helpful for me and for you if you had um, the passage open in front of you, um, not just the one in the booklet, but also um, the first part of Luke 15. Um, so if you've got one of those in front of you, it's on page 969. Now, warnings, I think, are very important, um, and we get lots of them each day. Some of them you kind of just wash over. Uh, and they, you know, they range in importance. Ones that say, warning, sharp cliffs ahead. Warning, accident ahead, slow down. Now, those are pretty important signs. How you interact with that is going to affect uh, yeah, your imminent future. When the cops give you a warning, um, yeah, you've been doing something wrong, you know, you, there's a relief that you didn't get the full fine. 
But when you get a warning about something that you've been doing and con been continuously doing, you need to stop and think. Maybe a warning about your health, um, your blood pressure, or maybe just at the dentist that you need to clean your teeth a bit better. To ignore those warnings when it could impact you seriously is silly at best because the consequences could be quite severe. Um, our passage this morning involves the Pharisees and they're going to receive a warning from Jesus. The warning comes in the three parables that make up Luke 15 and it's all there to illustrate what they are missing, what they have not understood. Because they think they understand the problem. Um, but their solution of additional rules and regulations and segregation from sinners, um, trying to make themselves pure, just like wearing glasses with a mask, it slowly makes them blind. It's, it's a horrible thing. Um, and then they can't see the cliff that's in front of them. And so Jesus confronts them because it's serious. He pushes back against their segregation and their solution. Because they claim to know God, but their actions show the exact opposite. But come, let's look at the passage, some specifics with me. Um, verses 1 and 2 set the scene. Where are we? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And you know, in Jesus' life, this is going well. It's going well. He seems really popular. You know, people are gathering to him. And Luke wants you to know who. It's the sinners and tax collectors. You know, it's the kind of scene, really, that revivals are made out of. People whose primary description, whether their own or from other people, is that they live a life of sin, are coming to Jesus. They're gathering around him to hear him speak. And they're like, yes, awesome. But the Pharisees, those in charge of religion, and the teachers of the law, they don't like this at all. And so they grumble. They grumble that this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, because they're thinking, actually, Jesus, I don't think you understand, but you're actually degrading yourself. You're a teacher, and these people don't really understand you. They don't really want to listen to you. They actually don't even deserve to hear what you've got to say. But we wouldn't say this. We wouldn't be grumbling if you just came and talked to us. Actually, we deserve your time and attention. Their idea of protecting themselves has led to them disassociating with all those who are sinful, even those who associate with the sinful. It's a complete guilty by association kind of mentality. They think God won't accept these people. And so how can Jesus be from God? And so now they disregard Jesus. And it's because of the Pharisees' statement, their grumbling, that Jesus tells our three parables. And we're going to cover three parables in three points. Um, and there's three things that the Pharisees have forgotten. Firstly, that it's right to seek after the lost. Secondly, sinners are welcomed back by God. And thirdly, 
grace. So our first point, it's right to seek after the lost. We're going to see this quite clearly in the first two parables. We're going to like lump them together. We have the lost sheep and then the lost coin. That's verses 1 through to 10. Now, in both of these parables, Jesus is saying the same thing, pointing to the Pharisees' just common sense. In Australia, we would say, come on, mate, even you do X, whatever that is. Maybe come see this with me in verses 4 and then verse 8. He says to them, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one until that lost, like go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And then also in verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, whole sermons can be preached on those two parables, but we're going fast. The point of the illustrations is seeking after the lost is expected. It's just right. He doesn't go after morals here. He just kind of says, like, it's just economic sense. The lost sheep is expensive. The silver coin has a large inherent value. And so it's right that the owner of the sheep goes searching for the lost one, leaving even the 99 behind. As much as I would be happy to say that a 99% survival rate of my sheep is pretty good. But likewise for the coin. A modern illustration would be if you went to your friend's house, you rock up at the door, and they're panicking. They've somehow misplaced $1,000 in cash somewhere in the house. Like... The logical thing is to join the search. It's just economic plain sense. And likewise, in both parables, seeking leads to the same result. They seek until what is lost is found. And then immediately both move to celebration. The man with the sheep picks up the sheep onto his shoulders, potentially just to ensure that it doesn't run away. And then there's the party, the celebration of friends, neighbours are called, your whole street rocks up to celebrate. You could imagine the party costing more than the coin or the sheep because you're meant to see the emphasis for the need of celebration, the extent of the joy. It's a necessary joy. And both of the first two parables, the heavenly party of the illustrates a heavenly one. Because there's more celebration over one sinner who repents than 99 who were righteous. While the sheep is valuable and while the coin is valuable and they both need to be found, more so sinners, more those that don't know Jesus. And angels rejoice at just even one person turning and coming to know him. Now for Christians, this must affect how we think about evangelism. 
Why talk to people about Jesus? Why tell people about Jesus even when it's hard? When my Christian friends are actually just easier to be around, are nicer to be around? It's because our non-Christian friends are lost. If you're a Christian, then you know, but apart from Jesus, there's no salvation. That those who you work with, study with, those that you walk by, they are wandering in darkness without hope, without Jesus. And even just based on the logic of our two first parables, we need to tell them about Jesus. And that's only half of it, because there's real joy for them and for all those involved when someone comes to know Jesus. I think baptisms are a great reflection of that. You know, people come and they, they've come and they've found Jesus. Through friends or family, they've come to know about the one who can give life, who has forgiven them of their sins, dealt with all their guilt. And when they're found, there's, there's real joy. They come and share it. They invite people to come to their baptism. And there's joy for everyone else as well. Baptisms are such a joyous occasion because someone who was lost has been found. This also helps us, though, to remind us about ourselves because we also need to remember that we are precious to God because we have been sought. He loves you so much that he sought you until he found you. And when you were found, you were the cause of celebration in heaven. It's something that the Pharisees have forgotten. And for us to think anything less of ourselves falls into their mentality. So our first point is that it's right to seek after the lost because we were also lost and the lost are precious to God. Now, our second and third point, we're going to be focusing on the later part of our passage um, because the Pharisees have forgotten two other things. The next one is that sinners are welcomed back. So let's read verse 11 through to 13. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The younger son goes through his rebellious stage, but to the extreme. He commands his father, give me what is mine, and then disappears squanders his wealth in wild living. But it doesn't last long. He loses it all, and then because of a famine, he ends up working, feeding pigs. Things didn't go to plan, you could say, if there ever was one. Now, for the time, it's important for us to think, for Jews, what sin has he not committed The details are vague, but I'm sure you can use your imagination. 
He has shamed his family. He has left his country and religion. And he's gone up and he's ended up working, feeding pigs. It's the lowest point in their minds. For the Pharisees, they have him as completely unclean, poor and worthless. And it's at this point of desperation that the son comes to his senses. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now the son does turn. He does go to his father. But why? Why does he go? Well, initially it's because coming to the father, even as a slave, he knows, even humbled, provides better than his current needs. He recognises that he has sinned. He has his speech ready, even to come back as a slave and to work for his father. He does come to the father, possibly expecting many years of serving to even try and regain some sort of glimpse of the relationship that he had. But what he receives is so much greater. What he receives is grace. His father sees him coming from afar and then runs and spear tackles him with love. Emotions just exploding from our passage. There's joy about receiving back his son. The son tries to get out his speech where he's prepared, but the father cuts it short, calls servants to come to redress him, rings and shoes, and then the celebration. See verse 23 with me. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Just like the lost sheep and the lost coin, the return of the lost son leads to celebration. What was lost, thought dead, is now back. And Jesus tells us to point out how his father receives sinners. They may come thinking they must work hard, but they are met with grace and abundance. They are met with compassion, with love. There's forgiveness and a celebration. It's worth us saying that this is not a new idea in the Bible. It's saying that the Pharisees must have known or should have known because this is Israel's history. Israel, God's people, though it had enjoyed God's blessings for generations, time and time again kept leaving and turning away from God. They went after idols, they went after sin, but time and time again, after judgment and suffering, they would be brought back by God. God would seek them, forgive them, and restore them. Bring them back from exile, back into the land, 
back into a right relationship with their God. And not through them earning that or deserving this forgiveness. Because that's the last thing our youngest son deserves. But it's because of God's grace. The Pharisees, in thinking that Jesus should not welcome back sinners, that they don't consider the lost worth saving, are condemning their own history, saying that God should not have been merciful to them, and they are condemning themselves. This forgiveness is not far off. This is not just an illustration lost in history because real forgiveness is on offer. If you're here today and you're burdened by sin and you haven't come to have Jesus welcome you and remove your burden, know that he is compassionate and merciful, full of grace. He will see you from afar and tackle you with love. He desires for you to come to him. The sin of the younger son shows that there is nothing so bad and shameful that Jesus won't accept. Come to the one who will receive you, who will wash you clean and forgive you. Come to the one who will not cast you away but welcome you back with joy. And this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus is showing forth here in parable form. That we can come to him daily with our failings of God's standards, our wanderings. And that he receives us. And like we saw in the first two parables, Jesus seeks us with this news and his life, having died to cancel our debt of sin so that all those who come to him can find forgiveness. But it's this that the Pharisees have forgotten. They don't understand that it's sinners who are welcomed back. Now, our passage follows a strange pattern. We have the lost coin, which, or the lost sheep, The sheep gets lost, then is found, and then there's a celebration, and then there's the celebration in heaven. In the lost coin, it follows the similar pattern. We have the lost coin, which is sought after, which is found, and then there's a celebration in heaven. But our third parable breaks the pattern. It draws your attention to the conclusion. Because there is the lost son who is found, And there is a celebration, but it doesn't end with, and likewise, there is a celebration in heaven. Instead, we get the older son. So let's come and look at that with me. Verse 25 through to the end. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, 
These many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, because, well, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now it's clear that the eldest son is meant to represent the Pharisees. But this eldest son, who did seem to be in a perfect relationship with the father, is actually in danger. And so too the Pharisees. Because they have forgotten about grace and forgiveness. The eldest son is angry at the father's grace. He says, after all these years of service, you never gave me anything. But this son who took half of your wealth returns and you kill our largest animal for a party. What is even happening? The eldest son expects that it's his work that should grant him something. And this son that has done nothing should receive nothing. The father's reply to him is short. He has come out of the party to seek after the eldest son, who is also lost. This son who is angry and self-righteous, it's all landed him outside the party in the end outside of a good relationship with his father and his brother, who the oldest brother will not call even his brother. It's this oldest brother that's been ever-present who doesn't understand the father. He doesn't understand grace. He believes that his relationship with the father is because of his own continual obedience because he's been working really hard rather than because the father actually loves him. And unless he comes to realise that, he will be left outside the party. Our passage has Jesus showing that the Pharisees have a serious fault in their thinking. They put their nose up at Jesus' welcoming of sinners. The Pharisees hate the fact that sinners can be welcomed in. And they're not going to accept it. The Pharisees, like the older brother, consider themselves above this. That their supposed obedience and hard work is what God truly desires. When what they really need is forgiveness and grace something they cannot earn. And they think they're in God's family because of their obedience rather than God's mercy. And it shows that they don't understand God and thus are actually rejecting him, seen through their rejection of the salvation of others. But Jesus in our passage And through the gospel itself, 
shows us that he is drawing sinners to himself. He shows that he's not like the older brother in the parable because he will go out and he will seek after the lost. He will seek diligently for them, even give his life for them. And he will meet them, not with harsh words and judgment, but with the love of the Father. And it's in Jesus that we find forgiveness. I think we need to feel the warning here. But we would never call ourselves legalists. But we need to be corrected in why do we think we can approach God today? We may not say it's because I had a good week, because you did your Bible reading and your prayer, but do you feel less worthy if you've had a bad week? If reading the Bible was hard, if prayer was fleeting? Does your relationship with the Father depend on how hard you've worked? No. Our relationship to God is not dependent upon our feelings or how we have performed, but rather, have we received God's grace? Because he welcomes us into a relationship with him, not by our works, but because of his mercy and his generosity through Jesus. And this frees us not to be burdened by our failures, not to be worried whether we've tried hard enough or whether God loves us today, but rather it allows us to rest every day on God's grace towards us. We come to him and we are welcomed by him because it doesn't depend on us. And that means your value is set. You're welcomed always as a child of God if we rest on him. Your place in God's eternal party is set, one with joy with him forever. But let me end with, if you don't have that, if you're unsure about your life, come and trust in the one who seeks you, who is so gracious that he welcomes you no matter what you have done. Come to him, rest on him, and join in the celebration. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, and we're so grateful that it does not depend on us. You, in your mercy, came and saved us. You sought us when we were so far from you. You gave your son to save us. Because of your mercy, we are forgiven. Help us to rest on that. May we seek you daily and trust in what you have already done for us. And we pray this in the name of your son. Amen.